All right, so a couple weeks ago, guys, we looked at First Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. We spent six verses speaking to the wives, and today we're going to speak to the husbands. So this will definitely be, it always is, but uh, probably even doubly so that I'm preaching to myself today. So, so just know that, men, that I'm not pointing my finger at you guys, but I'm there with you. Um, so the title of the message today is A Husband Pleasing to God. So a few weeks ago we looked at our message was entitled A Wife Pleasing to God. So I would, I would hope that every husband in here and every husband-to-be, would, you would like to be a husband that's pleasing to God. Amen? Um, but let me just ask you guys a question, speaking to the men. Um, obviously I'm not looking for an answer, but... But what are your greatest desires in life? When you think about your desires, the things you really long for, the things that are important to you, what do you desire in life the most? Or another question. I, I think this would be true of most men. Of course, nowadays, you know, it's, I'm sure it's, I know it's not an absolute statement, but I would think that most men, because of the way God has made us, He's wired us, um, we would like to be thought of as strong. Would you not? I mean, that's the way men or God has made us. Men as being masculine. And so, so we have this... Being made in the image of God as a man, we, we desire to be strong. But what does that mean? What, when you think of being strong, what does it mean? Is it how much you can bench press? Is that, is that what it means to be strong? Um, you know, what kind of athlete you are? Again, the, the, this is what maybe the world would think of as strong. Some of these type of things, you know, maybe you're you're real tough and you can take care of other men. Um, maybe, you know, maybe being tough means you've that. And I'm not speaking. I'm not saying this to you guys specifically, but just men in general. Um, you know, maybe the, a, a man would think he's tough because he's never cried. He's never cried because of pain or. A, or show his emotions. Many men think that's what it means to be strong. Other men would think that they're they're strong. Or, or another way, what is it? What does it look like to be a real man? To be strong? To be a real man? Many would think to be a real man, to be manly, would would be able to do those things that are that would be considered manly, like you know, like you're a handyman. If that's what it means to be a man, then I don't have it. <laughs> I'm not a handyman, as some of you guys know. But but many but many people think that that's what it means. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Obviously, that those are good things. But biblically speaking, what is it that you know in God's eyes? I guess is what I'm asking. In God's eyes, what does it look like to be considered a man, to be strong? Well, that's what we're going to be looking at today. Really, to be a what a godly husband is, somebody who's strong. But listen to First Corinthians ten, thirteen and fourteen. I know you guys have heard this verse many times. But it kind of it answers our question that I just posed. Paul says, be on the alert. Okay? Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Okay? Act like men. Be strong. And then, it, and then there's a period and then he says this, let all that you do be done in love. That's not what the world would say, what it means to be a man. But that's what God's Word says to be. So again, I think every I think I could speak to just about every man and boy in here that you want to be strong, 
that you want to that you really want to know what it's like to be a man in God's eyes. And we're going to talk about it more obviously through the message. But just know this, guys. Let that let that last phrase sink in. Let all that you do be done in love. And that comes right off the hills of the imperative to act like men and be strong. So with that being said, guys, turn to 1 Peter 3, verse 7. And we'll just kind of... Really, the, the, a lot of the, the, the imperatives in this verse is really going to just help us understand how to do that in our marriage. To be a real man. To be strong for the wife that God has given us or the wife that God has for you in the future. So you guys don't need to stand. I'm just going to read one verse. 1 Peter 3, verse 7. So now it's the husband's turn. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before You and we just ask for understanding from Your Word by Your Holy Spirit, Lord. I pray that You're... Your spirit would search our hearts. I pray, Lord, for the husbands in here, uh, for the marriages in here, for myself, for uh, everybody in here, for those who aren't married, God, that we would hear your word and that we would be not only quick to hear, Lord, but quick to obey. And Father, we just pray that Christ would be glorified today. In Christ's name, amen. So let's look at that first phrase, guys. In your Bible, it may say likewise. In the NAS, it says in the same way. Or you, you husbands, in the same way or likewise. The idea is that Peter is continuing the same area of discussion that he's been discussing in this whole passage before. And what's he been discussing? The, the whole duty of submission. That's what we've been looking at. You go all the way back up. Chapter 2, specifically verse 13. Really, really the section started in verse 11, but when you get down to verse 13, all the way through where we're at, he's been talking about this whole idea of submission, whether it's to governing authorities, uh, slaves and masters, the employee slash employer, uh, wives to husbands. He's continuing the same line of thinking, except is he asking husbands... To submit to the wives? That's not what he's asking. But it's still talking about submission. And what we're going to see, it, although the word's not there, guys, the imperative here really in this text is as husbands, God is calling us to submit to our duty to serve our wives. So we are submitting, obviously, to the Lord in, in our role as a husband, which we're going to look at more. And so, as we can all see, there's only one verse for the husbands. I don't know if I mentioned much of that last time, but obviously we had six verses for the wives. I believe there's a reason for that. Again, in this section, going back up to verse 13, Peter is focusing, his primary focusing, focuses on addressing those who are, who are, who are prone to experience the unjust treatment under some kind of authority. That's what he's been emphasizing from verse 13 down to verse 6 in chapter 3. So I think that in this particular text, that's why maybe the, he didn't give as much space in his writing for the, for the husband. 
But even if you look at verses 13 in chapter 2, down, down through verse 6 in chapter 3, when we look at this, when he's speaking to, the, to, to those under civil authorities, to those under uh, employers, and to wives submitting to husbands, being unjustly treated, what should that automatically tell us as husbands? Don't be that guy. Don't be that tyrannical husband that uh, the Lord was referring to in these other spheres of authority. So I think we can take that by application before we even get started, guys. We, we, need to, we need to carefully consider, in other words, how we exercise our authority as husbands. Because we know that we have been given this authority, have we not? It's, been dele- it's delegated to us by God, and we have a limited amount of authority. And so we need to... We need to take to heart this authority that we've been given in our marriages, knowing that we have a master in heaven who's going to hold us accountable what kind of a husband we have been. So in other words, don't be a tyrant in the home. I think it's amazing how you know how easily somebody can be concerned about being under unjust authority or, uh, or unjust treatment, tyrannical leadership, and maybe they're a tyrant at home. So we don't want to be that guy. Don't want to be that guy. So we're going to look at three points today in verse 7. Three points, three headings. I'm approaching it a little bit different. Usually I just go straight through the text because I don't want to like take a different thought than the writer's having. And I don't think I'm not in danger of... Uh, you know, missing the, the meaning of the text or anything, but just, just for the sake of the outline today, we're going to look at, under our, first, under our first heading, we're going to look at this, before we look at our imperatives, because I'm really saving our imperatives, because that's really the thrust of this verse, we're going to save it for the second half. But first of all, our first heading I've got entitled, Just Remembering Who It Is That You're Married To, Speaking to Husbands. Remember who it is that you married, in other words. So we're going to remember who it is that God has given us as a spouse. And then bouncing off of that, we're going to see what we're called to do as a husband. So first of all, obviously it's all in verse 7. In verse 7, the first point we're going to look at under that main heading, or that first heading is, I know this is rather obvious, okay, but your wife is a woman and she is the weaker vessel. Okay, in the NAS, it, it, it says that about the middle of the verse, of course, he gives uh, and I'll just read. I'll read the first half of the verse. You husbands in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman. OK, someone weaker since she is a woman. So the first point we're going to look at is your wife is a woman. Your, your wife is a woman and is the weaker vessel. It's, it's rather silly that we have to emphasize this, but your wife is a woman. The, the word woman, it just has the idea, the meaning of the feminine one. That's who we're married to, guys. I know it's silly that we have to emphasize that, but we do have to emphasize that nowadays. Maybe not here in this room, but in our culture, we need to be reminded of Genesis 2.24, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. 
And both the Lord Jesus Christ and His humanity, He repeated that word for word in Matthew chapter 19, and Paul repeated it word for word in Ephesians 5. So that's how important that verse is. That's how foundational it is. And that's also, on a side note, you can see how the Lord Jesus Christ and the Apostle Paul obviously thought Genesis chapter 2 was literal because they quoted it in a literal way defining what marriage is. It says that she is someone weaker. Okay, someone weaker. Wow, would that get a rise out of our culture? That's what the Word of God says. But what does it mean when it says the wife, the woman is someone weaker or the weaker vessel? Not intellectually. And I think some of us know that real quickly. <laughs> Me. <laughs> so obviously it's not saying that the woman or the wife is weaker in any type of intellectual way. That's going to be mixed within marriages. Some, some men, some husbands may be more gifted in that regard and some wives may be. It's definitely not morally. The wife is not weaker morally. She's not weaker emotionally. Some may be. But I know some women who are much stronger emotionally than men. And it's definitely not spiritually. You know what it is, guys? Real simple. For the most part, women are weaker physically. That's all it's saying. The weaker vessel physically because of how God has designed us. Which is such a tragedy when, when you see nowadays um, men pretending to be women, participating in women's sports, even in combat sports. And, and you, you know, how would you like to have a daughter? I'm, I'm, I don't want to get off track, but how would you like to have a daughter participating in a women's sports and getting beat by a man? Especially in something where it's, there's physical contact. And you get, there's been girls just hurt severely because of the Romans 1 culture we live in. Well, we can't even get the genders correct. But anyway, this is obvious to us, guys. We're married. Our wives are women. They are the weaker vessel. So that's pretty easy to understand. Secondly, your wife... Again, we're, we're, we are remembering who it is that we are married to. Your wife is a fellow heir of the grace of life. That's... Uh, again, pretty much in the middle of that passage... The NES has it worded, show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. So we're just reminding ourselves as husbands who it is that God has given us as a spouse. So there's a couple different ways that I, in my study of this passage, that different, that different uh, commentators saw this whole grace of life, a fellow heir of the grace of life. I'll share the first one. And I think after looking at after looking at it a couple different ways, there's truth in, in both ways you look at it. But first of all, this, this grace of life. Your wife is a fellow heir of the grace of life. John MacArthur, for example, he, in his commentary, he, he, he looks at this grace of life as just simply the marriage, the, the covenant of marriage, the, this true intimate friendship that comes from this blessed gift of marriage. Okay, and I think there is truth in that. Obviously, that 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 husband and wife both share this gift together of marriage. It's a gift that God has given us. This intimate friendship in that culture that Peter was writing to, husbands were not usually too interested in having a close friendship with their wife. 
The wife was to bear children and keep the home. So just by way of application to probe your, your hearts, men, is your wife your best friend? Is your spouse your best friend? And I think I'll probably ask that again. But I hope your spouse is your best friend. That's the way marriage is designed to be. Not that you can't have close friends, but I, but I hope everybody in here who is married that your spouse is your bestest of good friends. Like my wife and I like to tell each other. Was that from Forrest Gump? I think it was. But that's one of our favorite phrases. Um, but I think, I think, I think really the, the emphasis of this, of this statement here, and most commentators would agree on this, that it really is speaking more that she's a fellow believer. That she's a fellow believer. I mean, Peter's primarily writing to Christians, okay? But I definitely think you can apply the, the marriage as well. Uh, but she's a fellow believer. If you're married to a, a, a Christian, she is a sister in Christ, a fellow heir of this grace of life. I think it's more of an eschatological statement. And what do I mean by that? She's a fellow heir of the inheritance that's reserved for us. You guys remember we talked about that in chapter 1? In verse 4, chapter 1. Um, in, ver in verse 3, God, He caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance. There it is. Which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away reserved in heaven for you. Your wife is a fellow heir of the same inheritance that is reserved for you. I think that's the simplicity of this statement. As a fellow Christian, in other words, your wife is an equal heir of God's grace. Now she's an equal heir of God's grace for her daily life and this present life as well as the next. That inheritance that we're all anticipating. Listen to Galatians 3, 28-29. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Verse 29, And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. So husband and wife, Christian husband and wife, are heirs to that same promise. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, Heirs according to the promise. Take that a little further. Romans 4.13, Paul says, For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be... or For the promise was to Abraham and to his descendants that he would be heir of the world. Think of the new heavens and the new earth. Now that passage, those passages there are loaded. They are loaded with covenantal truth. Who, who is it that's the descendants of Abraham? Those who are in Christ. And he goes on to say in that passage that, that this promise to Abraham's descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So that's true for husband and wife. If you're in Christ, we are heirs to these promises that God has given. We are the true descendants of of Abraham because of faith in Christ. And so I believe that's what that statement is talking about. And, and so now 
Because we're remembering who it is that we're married to, right? The weaker vessel. Our wife is the weaker vessel. She's also a fellow heir of these promises that God has given us. And, and, and I do want to say this, guys, that as a fellow heir, remember this. When we start talking about how we're to treat our wives, our wives, your wife is a daughter of the king, okay? And we need to remember that. She's a king's daughter. And so we need to treat her like that. So secondly, and this is really where the imperative of this verse we're going to look at, really for most of the remainder of the, of the message. Because of who it is that you, who it is that you are married to. That's, that's the second point, the second heading. Because of who it is that you married. With two subpoints. Because of who it is that you married, first of all, live with understanding and knowledge. Live with understanding and knowledge. This is the, this is the command. Live with understanding and knowledge. In the NAS it says, you husbands in the same way, Live with your wives in an understanding way. Or it might say with knowledge. Both of those are great translations when we look into the text. First of all, he says live, right? You husbands in the same way, live with your wives. That phrase just means dwelling together in intimacy. Okay? Dwelling together in intimacy and cherishing your spouse. Again, do you cherish your spouse? That's the idea of this live. I mean, it literally means sleeping in the same bed as well. But the idea is actually living together, but doing so with intimacy and, and, and the fact that you cherish your spouse. Do you cherish your spouse? It says to do so in an understanding way or according to knowledge. Husbands, we need to have a knowledge and an understanding of God's purposes and instructions for marriage. Do we not? And so how do we do that? How do we, how do we understand God's purposes and instructions for marriage? We have to be in the Word of God. Wow, isn't it amazing? It always comes back to that no matter what area of life we're talking about, we get this knowledge directly from the Word of God. We need to know what it is that is our, that is our duty as husbands. That's, that's part of this according to knowledge. We need to help our wife understand her duty as a wife. And the only way we can do that is through God's Word. Through reading it, Ourselves, through obviously, through the local church, we need, you know what the real emphasis of this passage is? We need to know our wives. You need to know your wife. Do you know your wife? Do you know her desires, what her desires are? From the most spiritual desire to her favorite food. Do you know her interests? What she's truly interested in? 
You, you know what this requires, guys? Listening. Ouch. Slow to speak, quick to listen. You need to know what your wife's strengths are, her weaknesses are. Whether it be emotionally, physically, obviously spiritually, in all these different areas of life. And if you're not in tune with your wife, if you're not intentionally paying attention and listening, you're not going to know these things. You need to know, we need to know our wives in an intimate way, more so as compared to our favorite hobby or our occupation or our favorite team. There's many husbands who can, they can rattle off every player on their favorite team, but they don't know what their wife's favorite food is. And we laugh at that, but that's not a sign of a healthy marriage, probably. Or they can, or maybe they're very, very talented and they, and they take their job very serious and they're well thought of and they can, man, they can sound like an expert when they're talking about their occupation, but they have no communication with their wife. All of this entails living with her in an, in, a, in, an, in an understanding way with knowledge of who she is. Who is it that God gave you? Do you know this woman? Do you know her fears? It takes time. It's intentionality to listen to your wife, guys. Again, we've kind of joked around in the men's discipleship groups before. Women, so I hope I'm not telling on your husband, but, I, but I'm, I'll just say, if I'm the only one that's done it, when your wife's telling you something and she's been talking for three minutes and you realize, I wasn't paying attention. I hope she doesn't ask me to repeat it. Yeah, so we need to be good listeners when your wife's talking. To, and, and this would obviously go both ways, but we're speaking to the men today. Do you know your wife better than you know your favorite team or your hobby? That's a question you have to answer. And, and you notice what he says? You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. Live with your wives in an understanding way. Have you ever heard the phrase, you've probably been guilty of saying it out loud or to yourself, I just don't understand women. He's not asking you to understand women. He's asking you to understand your wife. Just like he didn't say, women, submit to all men everywhere. No, he said, submit to your husbands. Husbands, we need to, we need to have intimate knowledge of who our wife is so that we can be the kind of husband that God has called us to be. Not all women, but your wife. We need to know God's will for marriage. You know, in part of God's grace, obviously He's given us His Word. He's given us the means of grace through, through the local church. And even more specifically, through, through things like when the very thing we're looking at once a month. Books like Exemplary Husband. And we meet together. And, and we encourage one another. And we, we look at God's, what God's Word says. What I'm saying is invest in those things that God has given us by His grace to, to be that exemplary husband, that godly man that, that our wives need. 
And even if you're not married, like we've talked about with that book, it's just teaching us how to be godly men. As the weaker vessel, obviously this should imply no physical abuse. That goes without saying. No physical abuse, but no no mental abuse, no spiritual abuse. Not being harsh. Not being controlling. Because she's the weaker vessel, we should not talk down to her or demean her. And know this. We know that the Bible says that, that, that God gave the man, the woman, as a helper, right? As a helpmate. But understand this, as the weaker vessel, she needs our help as well. She needs our help. She needs us to lead. Not everybody that's in here that, that, that's married has children. But I can assure you that as the weaker vessel... God needs you, or your wife needs you to be the man that God has called you to be in the area of discipline with your children. Doesn't mean that the wives don't discipline, but we're just called to lead in that area. We're called to love our wives, guys. Men, husbands, we are called to love our wives, but not to blindly love them in a way that would lead us into sin. Okay? You think of Solomon, who turned away from the Lord to worship the many false gods of his many wives. Or you think of King Ahab. Do you guys remember who King Ahab was? He had a lovely wife. Not. 1 Kings 21-25. But listen what it says. Surely there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the sight of the Lord, because Jezebel, his wife, incited him. So we are called to love our wives, but not, not as an excuse to sin against God. Just like the wives are not called to, uh, to, to again, to submit in a way that would, when, if the husband was asking the wife to sin against God. We're not called to love our wives blindly. Oh, I just love my wife but you're dishonoring God in the whole process. That's not what we're called to do. But we are called to love our wives. First of all, we looked at living with her in an understanding way, according to knowledge. Secondly, we're to show her honor. Okay? God is calling us to live with our wives in an understanding way, to know who she is, to love her according to the way that God has made her, and then also to show her honor. This, this, this wife that God has given you who is the weaker vessel, who is, who is a fellow heir of the grace of life, we are to show her honor. We're to show her honor. Obviously. So we're going to look at some ways. How can we show our wives honor? How can we honor her? Obviously, I already said this, but it's worth repeating. No physical, mental, or spiritual abuse. You want to know what a coward is? It's somebody who abuses women. Obviously, no physical, mental, or spiritual abuse knowing that she is a child of God. Okay, But rather, what does it look like to honor her? First of all, we're to be to protect her. Protect her. We are to protect her. 
Obviously, there's many ways we as the stronger vessel, the vessel just simply means a human being, okay? As the stronger vessel, we're to protect her spiritually, right? Against false teachers, against that which is false. We're to look out for her. We're to lead. We're to protect her emotionally. We're to not be harsh ourselves with our wife. But to be kind and gentle. We're to protect her physically. Husbands, I hope that you would be willing to lay down your life for your wife. I hope that you don't even have to think twice about that you'd be willing to lay down your life for your wife. You know, you hear um, the whole discussion of a man breaks in and in my home and you get in the, you know, when is it appropriate to lie? And a man asks, where's your wife? And knowing that he's going to rape her or kill her. And, well, I couldn't lie to him. So she's in the closet, sir. No, I don't think so. No, I'd do everything I could to protect my wife from somebody who wanted to hurt her. Man, we need to be willing to lay down your life. What would that look like just in a practical way? Maybe you never... I'm not... I'm not meaning to, if this is something you've never thought of, okay, that's, but I think somebody mentioned this to me one time, just little things, obviously it could, it could be big things, but a little thing, when you're walking down the road, and maybe it's more dangerous to walk next to the curb where the cars are, men, you walk close to the road, let your wife be over here, so if something happens, it happens to you, you be there to lay down your life for your wife, just be thinking along those lines. How can I protect her physically, spiritually, emotionally? She is a gift to you from the Lord. You can honor her by providing for her. Obviously, we've been called to provide. Doesn't mean women can't be employed and earn wages or anything like that. But men are called to be the primary provider. So if you have to take two jobs to provide for your wife, then do it. We are called to be the provider. We are called to, to teach her. We're called to lead her. We're called to pray with her. Do you pray with your wife? That's how you can show your wife honor. Wives, I'll say this. Do you let your husband lead? Maybe it's, maybe it's harder for him to lead, but he's been called to lead. Let him lead. You may be twice as smart as him. I know what that feels like, but my wife lets me lead. Let him lead. He's never going to get better at it if you don't let him lead. Okay? God has called the husbands to lead. Husbands, you can honor your wife by speaking highly of your wife. Do you speak highly of your wife? Whether she's present or whether she's absent. Do you speak highly of your wife in the break room while the other men are joking about their wives? Do you speak highly of your wife? Do you, do you speak respectfully to your wife? How can, you, how can you speak to her in a respectful way? Well, obviously by maybe the words that come out of your mouth, but how about with your tone? Isn't it amazing what a tone will do? We kind of joke around with that. Trisha will ask me something and I'll just intentionally give her the correct answer, but in a, in a snotty tone. Just to make a point, wow, isn't it amazing? 
You can answer with the exact same answer, but just if your tone's off. You're not honoring your wife. Obviously, women, these, much of these go both ways. But, but we're speaking to the husbands today. Your, your tone or your body language. Isn't it amazing what a, just a roll of the eyes will do? Or a roll of the neck will do? Do you, do you let your wife know how much you appreciate her and her responsibilities that she has, that God has given her? Whether it's, whether it's at home taking care of the kids, which is the toughest job I know of, or whether your wife's working outside of the home. Do you, do you show her, let her know that you appreciate what she does? And guys, again, because she's the weaker vessel, that, we should be all the more tender to our wives. We should cherish them. What does it mean to be tender with somebody? You know, think of something, think of something like a, um, you know, something that's, something that's sturdy, something that's tough, maybe a cast iron skillet. I just thought of this, so I didn't have it written down. And you think about how rough you can be with something like that, and then you think about a, a tender vase. How much more tender you have to be with something that, that's delicate. Your wife is delicate. God has made her as the feminine one, the weaker vessel. And we need to treat them with that in mind. Let her know by word and deed that you love her. I hope you didn't tell her you loved her on your wedding night and you thought that covered. Well, she knows it now. No, we need to remind our wives verbally that we love them and show them that we love them and that she is the only one for you. That she is the only one for you. She's the only one for your eyes. She's the only one for your thoughts. Let her know that. That you're a one woman Man, that is the pastoral qualification that you're a one woman man. Let her know that. Husbands, we have been called to be brave for our precious brides. God has called you to be brave as a man. How do I know that He's called us to be brave? Because our Lord was brave for us. Our Lord loved us with bravery and courage as He came to His own. And His own did not receive Him that we read about in John. He was rejected by men. The joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross in our behalf because He was brave. The cross, the suffering, the rejection, the beatings, and all of that that the cross entailed. He bravely, to please His Father, and out of love for His bride, He bravely and willfully was nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men who hated Him and put Him to death. And how are we to love our wives, men? What did Paul tell us? As Christ loved the church 
and gave himself up for her. That's how we're to We could spend, I thought about just really making the sermon, just how did Christ love the church? And there would be our application. We are to imitate our Lord. And what did it say about our Lord who was, who was the King of kings who had all authority in all the universe and heaven and on earth? It says He came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. And we're to imitate Him and how we love our wives. Husbands, we are called by God. Here, here's the, the whole idea of submission for us. Okay, We are called by God to be submissive to His command to love and honor our wives. That's what we're called to do. And then thirdly, we will be rewarded with a fruitful prayer life. We will be rewarded with a fruitful prayer life. That last phrase, so that your prayers will not be hindered. So that your prayers will not be hindered. We are promised a reward. Okay? And, and, and you know, have you ever been have you ever read God's word? Maybe you've heard somebody express this or maybe you thought it, you know, I shouldn't have to be motivated with a reward to do what's right. Okay, but guys, what is this reward that we're that we're promised? If we love our wives and honor our wives, well, let me ask you this. It, it says so that your prayers will not be hindered. What is prayer when you think about it? It's close fellowship and intimacy, intimacy, intimacy with God, is it not? So we're promised a closer intimacy with God. That's the reward. What, what could possibly be a greater reward than closer fellowship with God? And that's what God's telling us here. And Peter, he knows these things from personal experience as well. In case we forget, Peter was married. 1 Corinthians 9.5, Paul reminds us, do we not have a right to take along a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? And of course, we know he healed Peter, or the Lord healed Peter's mother-in-law. So Peter understood these things, not only by, uh, through the Holy Spirit, but by being a husband. Most theologians agree that this statement, this last statement in verse 7, is saying that this is referring to God simply ignoring the prayer of the unrepentant, harsh, controlling, unloving husband. Now if that's the case, does that not motivate you? Should that not motivate you and I to be a husband that's pleasing to God? I want to have, I want to have close fellowship with my heavenly father. I want him to hear my, not that he doesn't hear, but I want him to hear and listen. I want there to be a nearness to God. I want that intimate fellowship with God to have your father, men, with his disciplining hand, draw back his intimacy from you because of your hard-headedness and pride towards your wife. I don't want that for any of us. And if that is us, if that is you, repent. I do agree with, I do agree with what Matthew Poole the Puritan said on this verse. 
And really most would agree. He says that your prayers be not hindered. And then this is his quote. Very short quote. Either that you be not diverted and hindered from praying or that the efficacy of your prayers be not hindered. So there's really, I think, a, really a double meaning to this. That, so that your prayers will not be hindered. In other words, men, if you're not loving your wife, okay, in an understanding way, and seeking to honor her, I think it's very simple to understand, you're not going to pray together. You're not going to have much of a prayer life, probably your own personal life, and with your spouse. Your prayers are going to be hindered in that regard. And if you do, God may choose to simply ignore your prayers. So I'll say this really in closing, men. What a motivation to be a godly husband. To have the nearness of God, the presence of God. To know that God hears your prayers. And, and, as, and as 1 John says, he, he hears our prayers when we pray according to His will. But that's how important. I think God is simply telling us that's how important it is that we love our wives the way He has told us to love our wives. There's going to be some kind of consequence in our prayer life for not loving our wives and honoring our wives. What did He say marriage is a picture of? Christ and the church. And you think about how tender Jesus Christ has been with you. Which really is what I want to say to all of us in closing. Husbands and wives. And those of you who are young, who will be married someday, and those of you who are not married now. This applies to everybody. We, as, as believers in Christ, are in covenant with God. We're in a covenant relationship with God because of Christ. Okay? And you think of Jesus Christ, you think of the patience, you think of the tenderness, you think of the forgiveness, you think of the sins that He forgives you for continually. He is faithful to us even when we're not. And He has placed you, if you are married, in a covenant relationship with your spouse. So this is the application for all of us who are married to take home. Commit to being faithful to your spouse. When I say faithful, in all the areas that we've looked at, in all the ways that you have been called as a wife and as a husband to love your spouse, commit to being faithful to your spouse in all these areas, even when your spouse is not faithful to what they've been called to do. Would you pray with me? <clears throat> Father, Lord, we thank You for the gift of marriage. We thank You for the... Lord, what, what greater picture could You give of marriage than the picture of Christ in the church? So Lord, what greater example do we as husbands have to love our wives, to, to lay down our lives for our wives? Father, I pray for every, every husband in here, Lord, every young man who will be married someday, Lord, that they would 
just apply these in their personal life now, Lord, that they would strive to be this kind of man to their mother. Lord, that they would, that they would see, Lord, the, the delicacy that You've given us in, in our wives and in, in their moms. And how we as boys and we as men are called to protect these women that You've put in our life. And Lord, we thank You for the example of our Lord who is fearless in enduring the hostility of this world for our salvation. Lord, we love You. Thank You for loving us. In Christ's name, amen.